It's been almost 20 years now, but when my boys, uh, Luke here and Joel was playing right over here, uh, were little, we had a parsonage that we lived at in, in our home in Mississippi, and it had a two-car garage, and so on cold days or rainy days, we'd back the cars out, and Micah was a baby and had to be with mom, so they would be able to get out there and play and ride their tricycle and get on their little cozy coop and all the things that kids did. And uh, had a great time. I came home one day, however, and found my tools were spread all over the garage. And, uh, you know, there's just something about tools that the, the shiny and little boys want to be right in the midst of them. And so I said, hey, guys, don't get in my tools and put everything away. And a couple days later, I come home from work. And sure enough, again, I find uh, my tools are scattered throughout the garage and this time it's time for a dad talk, you know? It's one of these moments. Boys, next time I see you in my tools, you're in trouble. Stay out of my tools. So, a couple days later comes by and I come home and the garage is just strewn full of tools. And I get them and I say, boys, what did I tell you? I told you the next time I see you in my tools... You're going to get in trouble. And Joel, uh, little at the time, probably two, maybe, maybe close to three or right in that three range. And he had a high voice when he was a child. And he, and he, and he turned and he said, but dad, you didn't see me. And then he turned to Luke and he said, don't tell him. <laughs> you know, all of us face temptation. There are for all of us things that, that we shouldn't be involved in and that just seems that's the very thing that we, that we want. From preschoolers to senior adults, nearly every day of our life there's going to be some sort of temptation that seeks to lead us away from God's plan for our life and lead us really in a way that can destroy us and hurt others. So how do we face temptation in our life? I think Joseph gives us a great example on how we are to find, uh, how we are to face temptation as we find the truth that he shows us in God's word. So take your Bibles this morning and turn me to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis 39, and we're going to pick up today in verse number 4, and we'll read down through verse number 9. Genesis chapter 39, and we'll pick up in verse 4. It says, so Joseph found favor in his sight. That is talking about Potiphar, who is his owner at this time. Uh, Joseph is a slave. He found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus, he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what 
is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And with that, let's pray. God, thank you for uh, your word, and I pray that you would give us uh, clarity to understand and that you would give us courage and conviction uh, to live it out in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we think about Joseph, we introduced him last week in Genesis chapter 37. He was the favored son of his father, and he was given a coat or a robe of many colors. It was a sign of his uh, favorite status because his father was a little bit older when Joseph was born, and it was a sign of his father's great affection and love for him. But his brothers, because of this, hated him. They despised. Every time they saw that coat, they were reminded that God loved Joseph, uh, that, that his father loved Joseph more than he loved them. Their father showed favoritism in his life. Joseph also had a series of two dreams. He had two dreams. One, and, and, and both of the dreams were, were the same, that there were sheaves of grain and the stalks and the 11 brothers bowed to his sheaf of grain. And they said, we understand what this dream means. It means you think you're going to have rule over us. There's no way that we're going to bow to you. Then Joseph has another dream, and he tells his brothers that in this dream, the sun and the moon and 11 stars bow to him. So you can see that Joseph, God is working in his life and going to give him a place of leadership and influence in his life. So God's at work, but his brothers on this other side are hating him. Remember, his father sent Joseph to go check on his brothers. And while Joseph was a, a long way off, they not, could not only gaze and see who Joseph was, but they put Joseph in their sights and said, we're going to kill this kid. Instead of killing him, they ultimately ended up selling him as a slave, and he was carried down to Egypt to the house of a man named Potiphar. Now, you think for a 17-year-old to go through everything that Joseph had already gone through, moving from favored status to betrayed to sold uh, into slavery, and now in Egypt, everything in life is different, and life is very hard. And then we find that as God works in Joseph's life and situations, and again, Joseph's leadership ability begins to get shown as he serves and he works his way all the way up to the point where Potiphar doesn't worry about anything in the house. He gives Joseph control of everything. The only thing the Bible tells us that Potiphar is worried about is the piece of bread he's going to put in his mouth. He has given Joseph free reign over everything else. The only thing he says is, I'm just, I just think about the piece of bread I'm going to put in my mouth. But apparently Potiphar is not always at home. And then we find that Potiphar's wife cast longing eyes at Joseph. And Joseph not only is in the midst of a trial because of all he's been through with his family and now as a slave in Egypt, but now he is in the midst of temptation. We shared last week that, that Joseph teaches us through his life to depend on God. 
and that just as I was a child on the screaming eagle, I leaned into my dad and I held on for dear life. The picture of Joseph is, is that he leans into God and he holds on to God's promises during the challenges of life. And now Joseph finds himself amid another test. And this one is serious. He finds himself facing temptation. And as believers, we have to understand and learn how to face temptation and how to overcome temptation. As believers, we have to understand how this whole aspect works and what the Scripture tells us when it comes to facing temptation and overcoming temptation. So first, we we think about this aspect of understanding temptation. As we think about understanding temptation, take your Bibles and look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. What I want to do is is step into the New Testament and get us a picture of temptation as it's shown in the New Testament and the principles of how to work, and then we're going to come back and apply it into Joseph's life. So we think about understanding temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Pick up with me in verse number 12. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse number 12. It says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, notice what it says in verse number 13. No temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. Everyone faces temptation. It's common for all of us. All of us in life, every day of our life, are going to face some kind of temptation. There's going to be some kind of temptation that comes into your life. It may be a a temptation to immorality like Joseph had here. It may be a temptation with finances. It may be a a temptation with deceit. It may be a temptation in a multitude of different kinds of areas. But all of us at every point in our life are going to find ourselves as we move from those, those early years of preschooler, elementary, middle, high, college, adult, whatever season of life we find ourselves in, we are going to face temptation. There, there's no shortcut to this and there's no, no cure to escape this. All of us are, are going to face it. It is common to everyone. But we also see in verse number 12 of 1 Corinthians 10, it says that we are to take heed, beware, that, that, that he who stands needs to beware lest he fall, that we are to take heed lest we fall. That gives the picture that self-confidence, trusting in myself is going to, to be a harm. Overconfidence and thinking, hey, I can handle temptation is going to be a severe detriment to me as I seek to stand and as I seek to face temptation in my life. Uh, when we think of it, self-confidence is going to make us vulnerable. That's the picture. Self-confidence. He says, you need to beware how you stand lest you fall. You think, oh, I'll never get tempted in that area of my life. In that very area of life, you may fall. There was a pastor years ago who was on uh, Focus on the Family. And he talked about the strength of his marriage and how he would never fall in his marriage. And guess what happened to this pastor? He fell in his marriage. See, an unguarded strength 
becomes a double weakness. We think, hey, I'm strong in this and I can handle this and I'm confident in this. And then the next thing we know, if we're not careful and we're not on guard, we can fall. That's why scripture tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, that we are to be sober and vigilant because the adversary, the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So we have to understand temptation comes to all of us that we can't be overconfident in any area of our life, that we could succumb and fall to any given temptation at any time if we are not careful. But then we recognize that in temptation, God is always faithful. That when we face temptation in our life, that God is always going to show himself faithful. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 13. That God is always faithful in our temptation. It says this, that no temptation has taken you but is common to man. But it says this, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape. I don't know about you, but... uh, one of my early ministry things, and some of you may have been involved in or heard about people who did crazy stuff like this. One of the things that I did early in my ministry was I was involved in bus ministry. And in bus ministry, as a high school senior, I would go knock on people's doors that I did not know and say, introduce myself, I'm Buddy Perstrup, I'm from First Baptist Church, and would love to invite your children to get on the church bus and ride to church with us tomorrow. And you know, We would knock on a stranger's door, someone who did not know us. They would have their kids up the next morning to go to a church they've never been to, to see people that they have never met before. And I think, wow, man, that was something else, how people used to just be very trusting and our world is totally different today. But our buses were worn out school buses that we used to drive. I'm, I'm... I didn't drive them. I I was too young to drive those buses at the time. They wouldn't let me drive them, though I did drive them in the church parking lot a little bit. But those buses had a governor on them. And a governor would be put on that bus to limit its speed. That this bus could not go over about 45 or 50 miles per hour. A governor was put on it to limit it. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 13 tells us that when it comes to temptation in our life, God puts a governor on it so that this temptation is not going to exceed what you are able to stand. God knows where you are. God knows what's going on in your life. God knows the strength of your Christian walk. And to keep you from saying, oh, that temptation was too strong and it's God's fault, God says this, I'm going to be faithful and I'm not going to allow you to be tempted above what you are able. So that the only person to blame for falling to temptation is us. God says, I'm careful. I'm limiting that. I am sovereign in control of all things and no temptation will ever take you that is stronger than you're able to bear. God limits it. He puts a governor on it. He's faithful. And then he says, not only am I faithful to limit it, but then I will also provide a way of escape. So now we take these three, these three thoughts. Everyone faces temptation that, that when we're overconfident or self-confident in some area, that makes us vulnerable. And then we think about God's faithfulness and, and putting a governor on our temptation and providing a way of escape. And now let's move back to Genesis chapter 39 and see these, uh, 
these truths of, of temptation applied in Joseph's life. So go slide back with me to Genesis chapter 39. And not only do you think about understanding temptation, but then we think about facing temptation. Facing temptation. So we see, as we look at Joseph, and in verse number 6, at the end of verse 6, it reminds us and, and tells us that Joseph is handsome in form and appearance, and then in verse number 7, that his master's wife, Mrs. Potiphar, cast longing eyes on Joseph. Eyes. There's power in the eyes. And when someone casts their eyes on someone in a, in a flirtatious way, people pick up on that. And you can tell that eyes can have this uh, a, a lustful imagination behind it. And Potiphar's wife has these kind of longing eyes toward Joseph. Now, as we think about facing temptation, let's think about what Joseph's been through. He was at home and he was favored, probably a little bit pampered, and life was was good. But he's just been betrayed by his brothers, taken away from his family, sold to a bunch of folks uh, that probably mistreated him, brought him down to Egypt, and now he's a slave at Potiphar's house. If anyone ever had an excuse to say, I am a spiritually and emotionally worn out and is very vulnerable at this time, it could be the, the life of Joseph. He's been rejected, he's far from home, and now this woman begins to cast eyes at him. You, you would think, Joseph, he's been through so much, and is there... Is there not an excuse that Joseph could use at this point to, to say, well, maybe I'll just dabble in this a little bit? And Joseph never gives in. He does not. So as we think about facing temptation and we think of Joseph's life, I want us to think about some truth. When we face temptation, we need to recognize and remember the presence of God. As we face temptation, we need to recognize the presence of God. Notice with me back in Genesis chapter 39. Go back up with me in verse number 2, because this is where we left Joseph last week. He was sold as a slave into the house of Potiphar. But notice with me in verse number 2, because it says, The Lord was with Joseph. Notice in verse number 3, And his master saw that the Lord was with him. You do not face temptation alone as a believer. That the presence of God is always at work in us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. So that as we go through the temptation of life, we need to recognize God's presence. He's not going to leave us nor forsake us. He is with us. And 1 John 4, 4 reminds us, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We have to stop and pause and say, look, the power of God has given me the power to say no to, to ungodly lusts. We have to recognize it. But what happens in our life is as we get fixated on the temptation, what happens is the pull toward the temptation grows stronger and the presence of God seems to lessen. Not that God's presence is any different. 
It's that our perspective of God's presence, our concern for God's presence, we start to get pulled into the lure of the temptation and the sense of God's presence seems to diminish, 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 and then we jump into it. We have to remember that we're not our own. We've been bought with a price, that the Holy Spirit lives in us, that God's presence is with us, and that we do not do this alone, we do not do this in secret, but that God is with us. We recognize His presence. And even when no one sees and even when no one knows, God sees, God knows. We face temptation recognizing the presence of God. But not only do we face, uh, rec- uh, face temptation recognizing the presence of God, but we face temptation, listen, with personal conviction. Notice as we think about Joseph's life, we face temptation holding personal conviction. Notice in verse number eight, Verse 7, she's casting longing eyes at him. And notice the three words of verse number 8. First three words, but he refused. But he refused. He said, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to be involved in this. There's a sense of personal conviction in his life that I'm not going to give into this sin. I'm not going there in my life. And listen, in all of our areas of life, be them in our moral uh, areas of, of, of sexuality or be it in the area of our finances, be it in the area of our pride, we have to hold personal convictions. Our God is holy and it's not the size of our sin, it's the greatness of our God that we have to recognize as we face temptation and hold personal conviction. But notice the foundation of this conviction. Notice with me in verse number nine, or verse eight. He said, he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. He's committed all that he has to my hand. There's no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you. Because you are his wife. How can I then do this great wickedness and sin against God? What does he do? He says, look, here's my conviction. My master's trusted, given me trust over everything, but you, and you are his wife. And I know that in Genesis chapter 2, as God made male and female, he created one man and one woman, and he brought them together, and that's the way it should be. And I'm not getting involved in this extra marital situation. There's personal conviction about marriage, that outside of the confines of marriage, we find that God says, out of bounds, out of bounds, out of bounds. And so he holds that personal conviction. But then he goes further, and he says, it's not only the personal conviction of, of, of marriage, but it's this, this conviction that said, how can I do this great wickedness against God? It was not just, hey, who's going to find out? It was, how can I do this against the holy and faithful God? His father is Jacob. His grandfather is Isaac. His great-grandfather is Abraham. And God's faithfulness to Abraham and God's faithfulness to Isaac and God's faithfulness to Jacob. You can imagine as Joseph looks and he thinks about God. He says, God, I want to walk in your sight. I want to be a man of integrity and a man who shines forth with the truth of who you are. 
there is this sense of recognizing the presence of God and holding personal conviction. But then there is this practical side of saying, look, I'm going to have this everyday practice of avoiding this woman altogether. Notice with me what it says in the scripture. As we think about Joseph and this this tactic, he faces temptation, practicing every day. Every day he is practicing avoidance. Notice verse 10. So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day, day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. Notice, she's tempting day by day by day by day. Someone has said opportunity knocks, temptation leans on the doorbell. That's exactly what's happening here. Day by day by day by day. And so what does he do? He just says, look, I'm going to avoid this woman altogether. I am not going to be put in a place near her. I'm not going to get around her. I am, I am, I am holding firm. I'm not going to be alone with her. I'm not going to be caught. Look, if, if she's somewhere, you need to buddy up with me. That's the picture. So that as, as you think about this in your practical life, If there's problems through the eye gate of, of, of pornography, then, then you turn the computer and you turn the TV off or you put your phone away or you put locks on it. If there's a temptation to, to mess around with the finances, you get someone to hold you accountable and walk through those books with you. But Joseph wisely and practically limits his exposure to this woman altogether and seeks to avoid her. That's the thought and that's the picture. I'm just not going to be alone with her. Luke and Micah and I had this conversation yesterday morning. Joel had already slipped off to a ball game and Josh was getting his hair cut at the time. And and so I was telling uh, one of the boys brought up an incident going on at a church where a church is being sued because somebody was doing something immoral and And I said, boys, let me just give you a fresh reminder. As you work with students, you're never alone with a female. Never, ever. You never take one in your car. You don't wait alone as as the rest of the parents show up. If there's another chaperone, you keep them with you until everybody gets picked up. There's just too much danger so that we, listen, we abstain even from the appearance of evil. We keep it from our life altogether. We stay on guard. We are aware. That's how we face temptation. Well, if you know the story, it, I wish that it, it could just stop right here. And he said no. But notice with me down in verse number 11. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand, and fled and ran outside. Now we come to the challenge of overcoming temptation. Overcoming temptation. We, we understand it. It's common to all of us. We face it. But then we really have to, to come to the place where there's going to be hard times in our life where we just have to deal with the temptation that's before us. And when it comes to morality, the answer of Scripture is this. Flee. 
When it comes to overcoming temptation, when it comes to overcoming immorality in temptation, we always flee. 1 Corinthians 6.18 tells us to flee sexual immorality. That's the only picture given when it deals with this aspect of Scripture, is, uh, of, of temptation, is we flee, we flee, we flee. And that's exactly what Joseph does. She probably has this whole setup because he's in the house with her alone. I think that she's cleared the house. I think this is a setup. Uh, just in reading it, it doesn't say that in the text. I just think it is. And then she grabs a hold of him and says, you're coming with me. And he runs right out of that outer robe or that cloak that he had on. Remember, this isn't the first time Joseph lost a coat. The first time his brothers ripped it off of him. And this time, it's the immoral woman leading him into uh, immorality that rips the coat off of him. And he flees. We flee. But not only do we flee, there are other kinds of temptations that you face regularly that you just can't run from. I mean, you know, you can't run from your expense account and you can't run from taxes. So what do you do then when you're tempted in those areas? Well, not only do you flee, but there are sometimes you just have to fight. There are sometimes you just have to fight. And in the book of James, it, it tells us to to submit to God in James 4, 7. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. There are some times when we face temptations in our life that, that we just have to say, God, I know this temptation is real in my life, but God, I'm submitting to you. And Lord, I am resisting the devil. And I know even some people who talk out loud and they say, God, I'm, I'm submitting to you. And devil, I know that you're here or your demons are here. And so I resist you in the name of Jesus. There's the picture there that sometimes we have to fight, that sometimes we just have to say, no, I'm not going there, I'm not doing that, I'm not giving in, I'm recognizing I am a submitted believer to God, and I am going to fight the evil one at this point. We flee, we fight, sometimes we have to focus. Hebrews chapter 12 it tells us that we have this great cloud of witnesses that surround us in Hebrews 12.1. And then in Hebrews 12.2, it says that we are looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We focus on Jesus. We focus on who he is. We focus on what he has done. But not only do we focus on Jesus, let's look at how Jesus faced temptation, Matthew chapter 4. Every time Jesus faced temptation in, in, in his life, in Matthew chapter 4, especially that one that's laid out for us, the devil comes to him and says, hey, why don't you turn these stones into bread? And Jesus says, uh-uh, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Takes him to the pinnacle temple, says, hey, just jump off of this. And, and as you jump off of, of this, then the, the Lord will catch you. His angels will catch you. You won't even dash your foot. And, and he says, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And then he takes him to a high mountain and says, look, all of this can be yours if you'll just bow to me. And again, he goes to the scripture and says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God only. The picture is... Is, is when we take the word of God, it has great power in it. Psalm 119, 11 reminds us, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. We know how this chapter ends in Joseph's life. First chapter 
kind of chapter 37 kind of comes to an end where uh, Joseph is sold and heads toward Egypt. This chapter ends, you know, Potiphar's wife lies about him, tells the other servants and then the master, hey, Joseph came in here and tried to make moves on me and his master has him thrown into prison. But listen, just as rejection would not be the final word on Joseph after his brothers sold him into slavery, accusation will not be the final word on Joseph either. God is in control. He's got to lean in and hang on. He's on a wild ride right now. He's gone up and been at the height and the pinnacle as dad's favorite and then came crashing down as a slave in Egypt. He rises in his influence to a place where he is the highest in command in Potiphar's house. And now it's come crashing down again. And as we closed last week, we, we left him in Potiphar's house as a slave. And this week we leave him in prison. But we leave him in the hand of God's providence. The last chapter has not been written yet, but when it comes to that last chapter, Genesis 50, 20 is the key verse, and we'll talk about it every week. We mentioned it last week. We'll mention it this week. It is the key verse in the life of Joseph as he looks at his brothers and says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. The story's not over. The book's not finished. Rejection will not be the final word on Joseph's life. Accusation will not be the final word on Joseph's life. We see God in his providential hand and control is working, shaping, moving in Joseph's life to bring him to the exact place God wants him in his time to use him in a great way. But here's the key. We can't quit when life gets hard and we can't quit and give up and give in to temptation. See, God's writing the story on your life. And no matter what chapter you're on, there will come defining moments in your life where how you respond to temptation will determine part of your destiny and impact while on earth. May it be that when it comes to temptation, we recognize God's presence and learn to say no. With that, let's pray. Some of you are here today, and maybe you don't know Jesus personally, and we talk about Joseph's life. Well, Joseph was a good man, but the Bible tells us that all of us have sinned, and because we've all sinned, none of us are worthy to be in the presence of a holy God or worthy to go spend eternity with him in a place called heaven. But God has made a way through Christ that we can be forgiven and that we can receive eternal life. Many of you may be believers and somewhere along the line, you've gotten off course. You've given into temptation. You've fallen. You failed. So let me tell you this. Your life's not over. God can still do a great work in your life. And just like a GPS sometimes has to recalculate 
and put you back onto God's plan. Wherever you are right now, I want to tell you, God's saying, look, repent so I can recalculate, 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 and bring you back in my will, back to your blessing, and back in this awesome sense of having an impact for the kingdom. Maybe you just need to come and use these steps as a place to pray. Maybe just at your seat, you need to pray. And say, Lord, get me back on course. I'm sorry for my sin. Lord, I turn from that. And Lord, I say yes to you. You want to pray with myself, Pastor Jerry, during this song, we invite you. If you want to pray with us, you can do that as well. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that students, adults, Lord, would be... In your perfect will, and God, if someone needs to repent today and get back on track, I pray that they would. Lord, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. God, may your kindness move today. Would you remind us of the hope that we have because there's forgiveness. In the powerful and awesome name of Jesus, we pray.